Welcome back to Word and Table, a weekly podcast on liturgy, sacrament, and the great tradition of Christian worship, and why it is vital in our world today. I'm your host, Alex Wilgus, and I am here, as always, with Father Stephen Gautier. Welcome back, Father Stephen. Great to be back, Father Alex. Father Stephen is the canon theologian of the Diocese of the Upper Midwest in the Anglican Church in North America, and he is Director of Formation at St. Paul's House of Formation in the Greenhouse Movement, and I am Rector at Redemption Church here in Frisco, Texas. Father Stephen, um, there really is no question that the parable of the prodigal son has got to be one, if not the most popular parables in all of the Gospels. I mean, it's um, inspired right there with the Good Samaritan. Yeah, right, right. You know, it's inspired um, paintings, you know, that famous Rembrandt as well that I feel like every pastor's got in his office. Um, and it's this uh, amazing picture on one side of the forgiveness of God towards sinners, you know, the father running out to meet the son who's squandered his wealth and, and, uh, you know, just treats him with such love. But the funny thing is that that's not the ending of the parable. Um, the final dialogue of the parable is actually between the father and another son, his older son, who does not go and squander his, his wealth and but is very indignant that his father is treating his other son with, uh, with, with such grace. Um, and you know, it's always made me wonder, you know, what's the real point of this parable? Um, maybe a better way to put it is, you know, who's the main character of this story? You know, that little title above the passage, the parable of the prodigal son, that's not in there in the original Greek. That's something that we, sort of superimposed onto it. So we've got three characters, right? We've got the younger son who goes and squanders his wealth. We have the older son, and then we have the father. Um, so what if we just took a fresh look at this parable? This is in Luke chapter 15, um, and talk about it in context. And maybe we can get a, a clear, maybe full, a fuller picture of what the real message of this parable is when we take it in context. So let's um, take it away, Father Stephen. So where do we start with the parable, parable of the prodigal son? Well, when reading the Gospels, they're really very well constructed. And so we can't, we need to put something in context. I mean, it comes up at a given point in the Gospel for a reason. Well, the important thing we talk about a pericope, meaning a, a a, a scene, basically, of the Gospels, you know, a passage from the Gospels. It's like a scene from a movie. You know, if you're looking at a clip from a movie, it's really important to understand that clip, maybe know what happened right before it or what happened right after, especially if they can be very related. Maybe you won't understand if you don't know what came before. Well, if you look at Luke 13, Luke 15, rather, you look in Luke 15 and you find out that all, all is about Jesus dealing with an issue really important to Luke. In Luke's gospel, the marginalized are really important. The people the world throws aside that aren't worth their concern, the marginalized, especially sinners. So it all starts out with the very first verses. The first two verses of the chapter are now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So what Jesus is going to do in this chapter is he's going to tell us, actually, you think it's strange I'm doing this. It's strange not to do this. You have things exactly backwards. Okay, so the the kind of 
thing that sets all this off is that the religious leaders are not happy that Jesus is associating with the wrong sort of people. Um, that's what this whole chapter is trying to address. In in other synoptics, we have uh, our Lord saying things like, you know, wait a second, physicians go to sick people. That's what physicians do. This is so important with marginalization that Luke is devoting a whole chapter and he's going to actually use three separate parables to answer this one grumbling. Why do you do this? And they're going to be related. Three separate parables that all have a common theme. Okay, so, so you're saying that to really get at what the parable of the prodigal son means, you know, that, that, that parable starts in verse 11, but there's two other parables before that that we have to go through. So what's the first one? And those two parables are opening acts like at a concert. Okay. They're just getting you all set, getting you all wound up for the, the main attraction, which is going to be the parable of the prodigal son. And the first is the, the parable of the lost sheep. And the idea here, let me read just a few verses. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, doesn't leave the 95 and 99 of the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. Now, something I want to stop here and explain to our listeners. We often have the parable exactly backwards. We think, isn't that sweet? Yeah, that's sort of special. What kind of shepherd would take leave the other 99? We have it exactly backwards. Jesus, is there anybody here who wouldn't do this? Sheep were really expensive. And... I think a modern version of this would be what person who goes to a big parking lot in a mall and doesn't know where the car is simply says, well, let's forget that. We have other cars at home. (laughs) Who could afford to leave a car? You know, he's saying this is something too valuable. No one, absolutely no one. Doesn't matter how many sheep you have, you never can afford to lose one. So this is, so he's basically giving a rhetorical question here. He's saying who here wouldn't go after your sheep. What man of you? Yeah. Is there a single person here, no matter how many sheep you have, would say, oh, I'll just write that one off. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone would be, no, you know, obviously sheep, because sheep are if you're, your livelihood, right? I mean, this is a major expense. If you were a millionaire, you wouldn't write $100,000 off. Right. And simply say, well, I have, I have other money. So he's saying, and what happens when he finds it? He says, not only does he look for it, that goes without giving. Then he says, and when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And he calls his friends together and his neighbor says, rejoice with me for I found the sheep that was lost. And he says, you know, I tell you in heaven, there's more joy over one sinner who repents and over 99 who need no repentance. So he's saying, we all understand the fact if I lose something important like a sheep, <laughs> which was very expensive. If I lose $10,000 somehow, you know, misplaced in my accounts or something and I find it, the reaction, hey, Spies, let's go out to dinner. Let's, let's celebrate folks. Yeah, and actually you end up doing more rejoicing over what had been lost than the stuff you'd never lost. He said, that's natural. Everybody does that. And notice who the protagonist is. The the object is the sheep. The protagonist is what's the attitude of the shepherd. And his answer is, I've got to look for it. And then when I find it, boy, this is great news. Let's celebrate. Okay, so so yeah. So we kind of often... put a spotlight on, um, you know, the, the, the love of the shepherd for the sheep. But the real point here is that, look, every shepherd would go do this. This is obvious. So, um, so let's, so, so let's move on to the, to the next one. You're saying that these are kind of like opening acts, right? So this is sort of a preliminary, uh, opening argument, but then he moves to another one. Why, why does he move to a second, uh, parable here? I think he's really trying to to ratchet up the sound, but he also Luke loves to bring women into it specifically. You know, he's you talk about marginalized women were marginalized in ancient world, 
And so he's going to have one the same idea with a woman this time in saying the women are saying, well, you know, they, they're not shepherds. She says, hey, is there any woman here or what woman having 10 silver coins? If she loses one of them, doesn't light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. Again, it's like um, if you ever had something like your refund check from the IRS slip behind the slip behind the um, the desk. Yeah, you wouldn't and believe you say, the valuable things I've misplaced, Father Stephen. It's yes. my curse. <laughs> and do we say, well, I guess it's just money. We'll let it. And you say, no, I'm going to have to move the desk. Even if it's a mess, I'm going to have to move the desk out there and go through the webs and do the things to get the thing. Of course we do that. So he says, what does she do? She lights a lamp. She sweeps the house and diligently until she finds it. She won't stop till she gets that coin. And when she's found it, she calls her friends together, says, rejoice with me. I found the coin, which I had lost. And he said, there's more joy. I tell you, there's joy in the angels of God over one sinner who repents. He said, we all know this. Everybody would do this. He says, there's a woman here who if she had 10 silver coins, but she loses one. She's going to go after the one she lost. Any guy here who has a hundred sheep and loses one, they're just too valuable to abandon. Okay, so so he's basically saying, he's addressing this this problem of you know people being unhappy that jesus is going and teaching sinners he's consorting with them and and so he's starting out by saying okay guys who who wouldn't go after one of your sheep that you lost ladies who wouldn't go after a coin that you lost um so now he's turning to the 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 final parable here now we up the antes to to people specifically to a son or a brother if we all agree that, you know, who would write off a sheep, who would write off a sheep, who would write off, a, who'd write off a coin? What about your own son? What about your own brother? Hmm. Hmm. That, that's a power. That's a really powerful move. You know, it's yeah. like, I mean, everyone there would would have to agree that, you know, yeah. a, a, a human being is of more valuable, more value than a sheep or a coin. But we don't always treat them that way, do we? That's exactly right. And so the idea we have here is in our first story, it was the shepherd who was the one who knew obviously what you do. You rejoice, you look for it and then you rejoice. The second parable, the woman knew exactly about it. You look for that coin, you sweep the house through, you light a lamp, you go where you find the coin and you rejoice. Well, what about a son who's lost? What about a brother who's lost and goes away? We've gone, he's gone. We've lost him. What do we do then? And so this case, the younger brother is actually the object lost. He's not the story. The sheep wasn't the story. The coin wasn't the story. The story is the reaction of the protagonist. And here we have two protagonists. We have the father who plays the role of God. But what about the elder brother? We have the elder brother. They, how are they going to react when they're in exactly the same situation? Okay, so this is, if we're going to kind of draw the parallel between these previous two um, parables and the parable of the prodigal son, you're saying we, you know, we actually should be talking about this is the, this is the parable of, you know, the father and the elder brother here. These are the protagonists, you know, they're these like the protagonists. They're like the shepherd. They're like the woman. Um, and we have, but we have that, that parallel there. That's where we draw the parallel. Actually, if you look at the prodigal son, he's not the model of repentance. You know, it's not like he sits down one day and says, I made a fool out of my dad. The whole town probably is talking about him. I took all the money. You know, he worked all those years. I spent it. I really did him wrong. That thought never crosses his mind. The cross simply is, wow, this isn't working out. 
you know, I'm hungry. This is not working out. I've got to go home, but you know, I've got to come up with a speech. And so we got, he doesn't like a speech. So, so he said, he says, first of all, when he realized, he said, you know, even my servants have a better job there. I do better as a hired hand in my dad's house. It's probably the best I can get. He's going to be so angry with me. Okay. And they said, okay, I'll go home and I'll have the speech. Oh, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Matter of fact, when he starts the speech, the father cuts him off right away. So I don't think he's exactly the model. I think he really repents, but probably only when he saw his father really loved him. But the point is, it's his not repentance is not the model. The model is how are we going to react to the son showing up? This time, you know, he doesn't even, we don't have to go looking for him, although the father does, by the way, we'll see. The father actually goes out, you know, and sees him at a distance and goes out to meet him. Uh, but what do we do when this happens? And of course, the father goes out and meets him. That's a lot. And he rejoices. He has a party. He says, look, get the best, uh, the, the fatted calf. Everybody in for a party. My son's back. The older brother is out on the field working. Yeah. So I was going to say so far, so far, you know, so much for the, the sheep and the coin, you know, we have kind of another another one of those but with a son in, instead of a, a, a sheep and a coin you know so he's back um the father you know it's it's an it's ratcheted up right that's an even more yeah. beautiful display of the father's forgiveness um even in the face of not n- not even really being fully there with repentance but then the parable goes on right yeah so we expect that that will be the end the father welcomes him. And of course, God does welcome us. It's amazing. But God, but it's like natural. God says it's natural. I treasure people. I made them my image and likeness. It's the elder brother who has an issue. He feels cheated. Look at, we talk about people with father issues. Listen to his <laughs> talk. He says, all these years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I could celebrate with my friends. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where did that come from? Boy, he's been storing that up. He's been storing up. Wow, this is like a volcano. But when this son of yours, I love this, this son of yours, aren't you his brother? When this son of yours came, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him. So he's absolutely unwilling to, um, to accept the brother. He can't. And this is often, again, we have other parables like this. Remember Matthew's gospel. The people come different times of the day to work in the vineyard and, or work, uh, work in the vineyard and he comes out early in the morning and the people work all day, but he comes at different times of the day. And at the end of the day, he gives people exactly a good, a good price, but they're resentful that other people got the same price. They didn't work as hard. They didn't lose anything, but the very fact that somebody would get something they quote had and wasn't, you know, was ta- somehow taking away from them. They're looking sideways instead of, of to God. Yeah. So so what's the elder brother's problem here? Um, because, you know, the, the scripture gets fairly specific. Let me, let me read it really quick. Um, now, it, after, after the brother, you know, comes in from the field and complains to him, to the father, uh, and he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now, how does this, how does this bring this home here? 
Well, his father basically says, time out. He loves the younger son. He says, the, old, the younger son, he says, time out. What do you mean? First of all, you always have me. That should count for something. You know, you have me 100%. Uh, by the way, you haven't lost anything after all. Think about it. You say all these years I've been working for you. Excuse me. This is your inheritance. <laughs> what do you mean for me? <laughs> this is all yours. You know, uh, it's his inheritance. He says, You're, this is the family business. The one you inherit as elder son. This is our business. Yeah, so let's talk about that. That may be something that is lost here. Um, and it, 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 it involves maybe going back to what the younger son is doing when he asks for his inheritance early. Uh, wh- what is he actually doing and how is it connected to what the father tells the elder son? All I have is yours. Well, that's a really good point because we think in, um, in modern, in the English-speaking world, we normally think of you're free to give your money to whoever you want when you die. For example, people who hate their kids can give it all to the dog or something. You know, they can do that, to, like a, one last thing. Well, you didn't visit me, that kind of thing. In Jewish society, in traditional societies, you had no say about where the money went. Okay, you know, in the sense that in Jewish law, it told you precisely who gets what. And so basically what happens is you were a co-owner with the business during your lifetime. Everyone had a share. The, the elder son got the, got the real property. And, you know, everybody else would get a share of the division. He got a double share of that. The idea was how do we keep the, how do we keep the family business going? So again, this sort of the, the, the household, the homestead here. They're partners in the family business. And the thing is, that why the son? Why would the father give him the money? Because it was his. The father, he just wanted a buyout. Hmm. He said, look, I'm, I own I own a share of this business. I'd just like to have the money now. I want to buy out. Yes. So that's a really important point, right? Because, you know, today, especially in, in the modern West and certainly America, um, the household, when we see household, we don't think of it like a productive thing. This is a, you know, this is a, 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 a an institution that consumes, you know, families buy things. But in the ancient world and for most of human history, right, like the household, the homestead is actually producing stuff. Like it's Yeah, so this is the family business. Right, right. It's sort of like that um, in Joseph and his amazing Technicolor dream coat. Uh-huh. Jacob, Jacob and sons, like a business. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's the family business, and he took his part. And so the father's saying to him, let me get this straight here. First of all, you have me. That should mean something. But he said, everything I have is yours. You know, we are partners. As a matter of fact, more than that, I'm going to die and you're going to have everything. So, I mean, how are you working for me exactly? Everything you're working for is going to go to you. I've held nothing back from you. And he said, you know, you're the son of yours. He said, what about this brother of yours? So he, he does it back to the son. He said, this son of yours. He said, this brother of yours has come back. Shouldn't we celebrate? Don't talk about this son of mine. This is his brother of yours as well. But that that part is fascinating, you know, that all that is mine is yours. It's essentially saying that, you know, the the elder brother, even though he was the good boy and he didn't leave, he isn't really bought in in the Not same way, is he? This is always what happens when we look spiritually, when we look sideways instead of looking to God. We're like children are looking at others. Mom loves you more type of thing. It's a, it's a theme in the New Testament, the Gospels, of people who make that mistake. They look jealously towards That's why they look down on sinners. They think that people are getting a break. Yeah. Instead yeah. of looking upon this as a joy to be partners with God in the business, they look upon this as a burden. 
Hmm. I was the one who worked hard. I worked all 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 12 hours of the day. This bum shows up at four o'clock <laughs> yeah. and you're willing to share that idea and saying and it's the whole idea of not grace. Yeah. The idea that this is just sort of, you know, I'm just getting what's mine huh. and missing the whole point of God's entering us to share what's his fundamentally as partners. Well, it's an amazing picture. I mean, it's it's a warning, really, but it's an amazing picture of how, you know, you can really appear to not leave the house, but really not really not be counted as a son, right? If you're not, you're not bought into the family business, even if you're a good, a, a good boy and you never went off and, and you never, uh, you know, sinned in any notorious way or anything like that. If you're still back at home and you're, uh, you know, sour and sullen about all this and you, you don't think of what God is doing in the world as really yours, then you really are counting yourself out of the inheritance. Yes, we're told in Romans, in one of my favorite verses about what our inheritance says, you know, if we're sons, we cry, Abba, if we're, we do that, we're sons. It says if we're sons, we're heirs. That means we're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. It's all, it's all in the family. Yeah. We're heirs of God himself is the inheritance. And Christ himself is a fellow heir. This is the family business. So we're instead of looking like management, we're actually acting like we're, we're, we're in the time clock. We're partners. Yeah. We're partners. You know, I like to say that, you know, I did all sorts of jobs to work through college. And, you know, when I had uh, minimum wage types of jobs, you know, or just a little over that, we had time clocks and things. And, for example, I did some, a uh, few summers I did was a you know, kitchen cook in a restaurant. And in a case like that, if I just checked out and my time had come up and, you know, I had terrific bosses, you know, uh, Dale and Marion of blessed memory years ago. But, you know, if I, they had asked me, hey, uh, just take off on my shift. And, oh, we have to move one thing. Into, can you help me out with that? I'd say, sure, I like these people. But if they kept me an extra half hour or something, I feel they're cheating me because I am a wage employee. However, with them, since they own the business, they were the first people there in the morning and the last people to leave. And with joy because it was their business. So a real sense is when we are begrudge God, when we feel that you know, God is just another burden in a busy life, it shows that we haven't bought into the fact that we are actually, this is our business. Yeah, yeah. That we the, are fellow workers with God, as we say in Paul's epistles. That we're not just kind of uh, wage earners on God's grace here, but we're really partnered with him and what he's doing in the world. And what he's doing in the world is calling all men unto himself. Right. And that that's the thing we should be excited about. When I was a manager, you know, I always had 20, 25 people for 30 years. And I've got to tell you, when you move somebody up into a managerial position, you know, you have to tell them it's different being management. Mm -hmm. You don't just do your time. Things have to be done. They're not done until they're done. Yeah. <laughs> and that's as much time as like being a parent, right? It's as much. You don't say, well, this is all the time I put aside for changing diapers. Yeah. No, <laughs> you'll take all the time that's needed. So in a, in a way, it, it's 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 safe to say, obviously, but it's a it's it's a, a, a the great irony of the parable is that the you know the the younger son who comes back to try and be a wage earner on his father's uh, on his father and his father's household is welcomed back in as a son, but the son who you know the 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 elder son who never did that actually shows himself to have more the mentality of a wage earner, someone who does not have, is not bought into the mission of this thing. Yeah, he's the one who really checked out. 
talk about five. He's the guy who really checked out. There's more bitterness than there's no bitterness with the elder younger son left. He wanted his money, but there's no bitterness. This guy clearly has issues with his father. You know, I've worked all these years. Boy, do you owe me big time. He has completely missed the point. Yeah, boy, it's such a it's such a brilliant, um, just such a brilliant, um, just nailing to the wall of of uh, religious um, yeah. judgmentalism and um, and uh, uh, really, you know, lack of mercy toward others. Where it comes from, really, is yeah, you've got issues with God, and you're not bought into this thing. That exactly, he's doing. we have issues because we we haven't bought into what our real inheritance is. You know, what is this really about? Is about is It's about God. And when we haven't, we feel bitter. We are, we're wage employees. We're saying, I don't get it. I checked out 20 minutes ago. Instead of being management, sure. You know, it's like that, you know, the father who asked his son, come out and work with me in the field. And the one says, no, I'm not going. But he goes, the other one says, you know, I'll be right there. It never shows up. But the idea that God asks all of us to, how, what's our attitude? Do we look upon ourselves as part of the team? This is our project. You know, we're fellow heirs with Christ. You know, this is a question of joy. And also it's another theme we find in the, in the gospels with the idea of is remember the, the, uh, the story of the uh, rich young man is he's invited to follow Jesus and his reaction is walking off sad because there'll be a price. Jesus said, well, no, no, think about it. He says, you know, secular people know this better. If you find a field and you find a treasure in a field, which under Roman law meant you get, if you buy the field, you get what's in it. Why would you hesitate if you know a, a field, if you're buying a thousand dollar field and you know it has a hundred thousand dollar treasure in it, why would you hesitate to buy the field? What a deal. And he says, if a, man, a pearl merchant, he finds the, a, a pearl that's so valuable to make his career. You don't hesitate to, 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 well, I'd have to spend money to buy it. Duh, you'd, you'd beg, borrow and steal to get it. And he says, worldly people seem to understand this. They understand that, you know, they look in terms of what they're after. They willingly give up things for something better. And why would the kingdom be different? You know, we should look upon the kingdom as an opportunity. The person rejoiced that they found the treasure in the field. They rejoice that they found the pearl, not, oh, what a hassle. And something I think is brilliant with this parable, you like to ask people what happens in the end? Because the father had to come out because the older son would not go into the party. He was so offended and angry. Well, I ask you, Father Alex, did he ever go in? What does it say? You have, you're looking at the scripture there. What does it say? Um, well, it doesn't say anything. Why doesn't it? Because we're the older brother. Everyone of us hears that we are the older brother. It's our decision whether we're going to go in. So it's really a challenge to all of us saying, okay, you're probably resentful of other people and how God's generosity. So the real question, are you going to say, I'd rather be out here than you know, rejoicing with others who haven't done everything I've done? Or are you going to go in and join the party? And that's the real sad thing. You know, you know, it's like Satan in Milton's Paradise Law says, better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. Uh, the sense that we so resent what I consider how God's dealing with others that I'll just take my marbles and go home. You know, sometimes we have this in church. All of us have been given gifts, you know, for the church. Paul says everyone's given a gift for the common good. But some of us are resentful that other people have gifts that we would have preferred. And so we just, we, we, we pout, we just don't use them. This is part of the story where we have the man who buries his, his uh, coin. And probably one of the reasons he buried the coin was everybody got more coins than he did to start. So instead of using the coin he had, that's what the, fa the fathers tell us. Instead, you know, one got 10, one got five, you know, in, in one of the versions of one get 10, one got five and he got one and he buries it. Well, if you don't trust me that, I won't do anything with it. 
So it really, the end of that parable poses the question to to the listener, to the reader: Are you? Will you? You know, will you enter? Will you enter this this household as my son, being being excited about the things I'm excited about? And boy, there's more rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents. Or are you going to stay out in the cold? Yeah, exactly. That's the that's the beautiful summary of the whole parable. Come on and join the feast. Well, thanks so much, Father Stephen. And thank you for listening to Word and Table. We'll be back again next week for more on liturgy, sacraments, and the great tradition of Christian worship. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.